0: If you're, wondering, um, if you're wondering, actually, we did have some kids this morning, but if you're wondering why there just are no kids in church this morning, it actually has to do with the Harry Potter release, which is um, a major cultural event. And I've actually heard, are, is there anyone here today that has already finished the new book? See, I knew there was one. He's right over there. But uh, I know, it's, you, you never know who's a Harry Potter fan. It's always a surprise. But um, we have one person sitting here today that's already finished the book. Um, my wife was out with the college ladies on Friday night, and I called her because I played in the golf tournament. And I wanted her to get, you know, some vitamin waters for the team so we could take home the trophy, which did not happen. Um, but anyway, she was out late, and she, she called me, and it was it was like there there are all these people at King Supers and their kids, and it was almost midnight. And she said, "What's going on?" And then finally, it clicked. Harry Potter. Harry Potter's coming out. So. I know, I know we think we make gains in the church for the VBS and stuff, but we just can't keep up with Harry Potter and Voldemort, and um, so a lot of kids are, uh, you know, they're probably gone doing that. I'm just kidding. I don't mean to offend those who don't like Harry Potter or those that do like Harry Potter. I'd like to be friends with all of you. Um, <laughs> when no one laughs, you know it's not good, you know. It's one thing first service, but give me a smile or something. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, we're going through the Psalms, if you haven't been around. We spent the last two weeks in them. Todd gave us a beautiful intro to the Psalms. And it was a beautiful intro, but while Todd's out of town, I do have to kind of call him out on something that really bothered me and offended me. Uh, Todd gave a, a great intro to the Psalms, and if you remember, I think he was in Psalm 19, and he was giving this, you know, Scripture has a taste to it, and he handed out honey. Was anyone here for that? Um, well, I, I don't know if anyone else looked on the back of the packet you got, but... Um, the, the primary ingredient in what Todd gave us was high fructose corn syrup, um, not honey at all. And I just felt so cheated, um, really violated my trust with Todd. Um, just want to get that off my chest. And you know, it, at least at least he could have, if he's going to do the honey thing, go get some real honey. You know, he went to the Colonel, the Colonel at KFC, and just had a bunch of freebies, and it wasn't even honey. So. Other than that, though, it was a really good intro. Um, and if you were here last week, Dave Beatty taught on Psalm 73 and uh, the idea of God's not fair. It's kind of, we could classify that Psalm 73 as a wisdom psalm. Really the sharing of wisdom of someone who saw, um, saw this tension. And we're going to use that word a lot today. And if you remember Psalm 73 from last week, there was this tension that existed. Uh, why do the wicked prosper? That was the question in, in the psalm last week. And then after, actually, after a visit to the sanctuary, the psalmist comes back and says things like, Whom have I in heaven but you? And having you, I desire nothing else. I desire nothing else. So this idea of tension is going to be really important today in Psalm 44 when we talk. And when I say the word tension, I'm going to hopefully explain what that means. But I think what I'm trying to say with tension is this idea of doubt versus assurance or confusion versus clarity and ultimately complaint versus praise and hopefully we can agree that our lives and our faith often sit in that place that dynamic that tension we're between those two places or we're more towards one or the other and i'm going to share with you this morning that i think that's a good and healthy place for us to be in the faith it's a common place to be not only in our our lives but as we look through the bible it's a very common place to be and i think that god meets us there so psalm 44 if you want to have it ready we're not there yet but you can just kind of pull it up and if you carry not a bible with you today we'll have it up on the screen later through high def audio visual presented by john burns well since psalm 44 is what we call a communal lament which i think is really neat it's not just a one person sharing it's the community in a sense is giving this psalm i wanted to start with that word um, communal or community and i think we like that word a lot community it's just a nice word right we say it, it makes us feel makes us feel like we're at home uh, in a home we love, uh, we must love the word because it's a part of our name, Westbulls Community Church. If you didn't know, that's what our name is. And some people would say we just didn't weren't able to come up with a creative name, which may very well be true, because if you look around the church, we tend to not. We're very creative people, but we never come up with creative titles. Like our youth group is called Youth Group, and our college group is called College Group, and our young marrieds is called the Young Marrieds. We don't have anything cool like. I was telling George, Solomon's Porch. I've heard that's a name for a church. It just sounds like something cool is happening there. Um, West Bowles Community Church. Who knows what's happening here, but there's that word uh, community. And I think that's a word that carries a lot of meaning. I think we know that. But it's a word we have to constantly return to and see how we're doing with it. And if you ask me, I'd say our culture a lot of times presents uh, something different than community. It drives us towards this thing we call individualism, right? personal pursuits, personal gains, personal interests. Um, not bad things in and of themselves. Um, but a lot of times it's a me-centered culture, right? It's easy to see how it's all about my choice and what I want to do with my life and these kinds of things. So it's easy to see for me how we can become our own masters. We've set the direction, we set the pace, and we lose sight of this word community. Not just what it means, but how we live it out. So the church always has to come back, I think, to this word and this idea of together this idea of where two or more are gathered, um, or as Jesus said, let them be one as you and I are one. I think that's just a goal we have to always come back to, and, and we have to deal with it. Well, I'm going I'm to start with a little bit more of a secular experience, but I found it highly, a highly spiritual experience uh, that I'm going to share with you. How many of you have been to Red Rocks? Okay. I just want you to know, I, I asked that for a service, and I got one hand. I don't know whether it was, and then I said, are you serious? Come on, and then I got a few more hands. I don't know what was going on there. Most of us have been to Red Rocks, and I haven't been to a concert there in a while. But I had a magical experience at Red Rocks last week. No, don't worry, I wasn't under any drugs or anything like that. Um, it was just simple, plain cinema. Uh, we, we decided, a few of us in the college group, to go out to movie night at Red Rocks. It was a Back to the Future. Fabulous film. And Cassie, my wife, is sick of hearing about this because I've been talking about it a lot. But I kept telling her, she wasn't there, and I kept telling her, Cassie, it was magical. You know how they say the movie is supposed to be magical and all this? doesn't happen a lot for me, but when we went to Back to the Future at Red Rocks, it was magical. Up, on the, up in the amphitheater, a little light breeze, and you've got 6,000 people cheering on Marty or Calvin McFly in, 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 in taking care of Biff and getting back to 1985 and, and all this. And I just got caught up in the excitement. We, we cheered when good things happened and everyone was just together. It was, it was an experience of community. Two of you guys that were there, you know what I'm talking about. It was, it was incredible. And, and I thought to myself, as I'm sitting at Red Rocks, if strangers can come together, you know, at Red Rocks for a couple hours and be, be united in this purpose and passion for Back to the Future, and be so excited. I mean, I'm talking standing ovation when Biff got knocked out. If, if we can gather together for that, you know, shouldn't we have an idea when we come together on a Sunday morning of, of our purpose, of why we're united here? We shouldn't just kind of blow in and blow out. We should have an idea. And we should be excited, as excited about that purpose. I mean, we're not talking about a movie here. We're talking about our faith. And we're talking about the church. And we saw a piece of that last week with Dave in Psalm 73 when he entered the sanctuary. That's when he kind of had this revelation, the psalmist. So, community. We're going to talk more about that. Why don't you open to Psalm 44. Are we ready? Are we excited? Are we excited? I think community, the idea of community, saturates not just the Bible, but the Psalms especially. We've had books and chapters in, in the Old Testament that have told us the story of God's people. They've shown God's, God's interaction to humanity, what God says to humanity, how he directs them, how he leads them, these kinds of things. And then for one book, um, uniquely, we have an entire book of the Psalms where God's people speak back. You know, this is the people speaking back to God. And we think maybe it would just be kind of vanilla, one flavor all the way through kind of thing but that's not the case. We get writings that are fabulously honest, diverse, and um, really raw in communicating their own faith. I've been going through the Psalms, or we just finished going through the Psalms with the college group. We're finished, guys. I know you're sick of it. Um, But we asked the question there as we were looking at the Psalms, like, wow, look at these Psalms that we have, these incredible honest connections you read it, and it's someone just really able to articulate where they are in their faith at a particular point and really speak out and say this is how i'm feeling internally this is where i am with god this is and and they're able to say it so well and we ask the question are are we able to communicate so well about our faith you know we have to ask ourselves sometimes could we put down on paper could we speak uh, something about what's going on wherever we are Whatever it is that's going on in, in our faith, in the road that we're in, are we able to communicate that? It's a, it's a good question as we go through the Psalms. Well, we're going to start together. We're going to read, um, I'm going to read verse 1 through 8, and then we'll, kind of, we'll break it down here as we go. Psalm 44, verse 1. We have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us what you did in their days, in days long ago. So we have heard. Let's, we start with that. This is we, this is us. And, and what is it that he's saying? Our fathers have told us. There's this idea of story that is sacred to the people of Israel. Um, it's I'll make a, a decent analogy, and that is, if you have great family stories that are kind of passed around the table and at events, there's always these stories that get told. And then over years, they kind of get blown up bigger than they even were. And, you know, who knows what the truth is anymore? I, we had one of these just a week ago. Um, we were over at my parents' and... When my brother Derek was two Or around two they were, My parents were at their friend's house And they had this high deck Really high up, hundreds of feet in the air And um, Derek started you know, Walking over to the edge And my dad was telling him He said, you remember when, when Derek well, I, He was telling my mom You remember when Derek you know, was walking towards the edge of that deck And I dove from my chair and grabbed him by the leg And saved him And my mom said, Dee, that wasn't you That was Bruce Palmer you know, Some friend of the family my dad said, "What are you talking about? I'm the one that I'm the one that dove out of my chair and grabbed him. You know, he would have fallen." And my mom said, "What are you What are you talking about? That was Bruce." So, Cassie and I are just cracking up because my parents can't figure out what happened. You know, uh, who who rescued my brother from from sure death? Who knows? Nobody even knows anymore. Um, but everyone has their own version of the story, and we're going to try and interview people and figure out what really happened. <laughs> but as we start in here in '44, this is more than a family story. Um, this is, this is for generations. It's an oral tradition. People passed down and told within this community of faith what God had done, how God had made a covenant with them and had joined them as a people, and it was sacred to the people. Well, and, and so what is it that they did? What is it that God did? and The psalmist will share in verse 2. We'll go on. With your hand you drove out the nations and planted our fathers. You crushed the peoples and made our fathers flourish. It was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm. And the light of your face. For you love them. You are my king and my God. Who decrees victories for Jacob. Through you we push back our enemies. Through your name we trample our foes. I do not trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me victory. But you give us victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. In God we make our boast all day long. And we will praise your name forever. So let's come back in verse 7. You gave us victory. This is a pretty elementary understanding for the people of israel when god made this covenant with them when he entered into relationship with them and if you boil it down to its simplest form we would just say this that god agreed that if if they would worship and follow him his laws that god would bless them and if they didn't he wouldn't it was as simple as that at the beginning with the mosaic we call it the mosaic covenant some people would call it the deuteronomic code um, it was an understanding that God's people had. We follow you. We play by the rules, so to speak. You're going to be with us. We don't. You, you won't be. And we see, we won't get into covenant today, but we see that the, the relationship that God's people have with God evolves and changes their understanding. Because somewhere along the road, and the biggest book that's an example of this is Job, but somewhere along the road, the people of God start to deal with this idea that we feel like we're playing by the rules. We feel like we're in covenant with you and following the laws, but... You don't seem to be with us. And so we're confused. And, and that's the source of some of the laments we have in the Bible. It's like, God, this, is, this doesn't add up sometimes. There's a bit of confusion um, going on. So let's move on. Get ready for the tension to show up here, uh, starting in verse 9. But now you have rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. You made us retreat before the enemy, and our adversaries have plundered us. You gave us up to be devoured like sheep and have scattered us among the nations. Some kind of battle, right? Some kind of battle has occurred that they've, they've been humiliated, they've lost. All of a sudden, God was not with their armies, did not go out with them. And they're kind of reeling from that experience. Verse 12, you sold your people for a pittance, gaining nothing from their sale. You've made us a reproach to our neighbors, the scorn and derision of those around us. You've made us a byword among the nations. The people shake their heads at us. My disgrace is before me all day long. My face is covered with shame at the taunts of those who reproach and revile me because of the enemy who is bent on revenge. Let's go on a little bit more. All this happened to us, though we had not forgotten you or been false to your covenant. So this is a huge, uh, huge shifting point. The psalmist seems to be saying, it's echoes of Job, the, this wasn't our sin. You know, We played by the rules of your covenant, and yet we're suffering. This doesn't add up a comparison to fast forward for us might be something like we read something Jesus said like my burden is my, my yoke is easy my burden is light and then we look at our lives and we say I, I don't always feel that Jesus like so was that the, a truth you told me or I, I'm trying to understand that but it doesn't always add up and these things these raw and honest expressions are here for us in the Psalms to read let's see where it goes we have to wrestle through these things where were we? Start talking. Oh, verse 17. So this is really key. All this happened to us, though we'd not forgotten you or have been false to your covenant. That's what the psalmist says. Our hearts had not turned back. Our feet had not strayed from your path, but you crushed us and made us a haunt for jackals and covered us over with deep darkness. If we'd forgotten the name of our God uh, or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God have discovered it since he knows the secrets of our hearts? Yet for your sake, we faced death all day long. We were considered a sheep to be slaughtered. It's a pretty miserable condition that the nation is in. And then, it's kind of the ultimate jab here the psalmist gives in verse 23. Awake, O Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. So he's now saying something. I mean, the, God's people know full well that God doesn't sleep. You know, God is awake and, and alive always. This is an example of a pagan god would be asleep and, and awake. And it's a, it's a reference, actually. You can find it in 1 uh, Kings In 1 Kings chapter 18, um, this reference to a pagan god that sleeps. But that's not the god they worship. But the psalmist is so hurt by the situation that he's saying, God, wake up. Come to our help because you seem to be sleeping. Um, Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? And then a key ending here. We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Just desperation. Rise up and help us. Redeem us because of your unfailing love. It's a curious ending. I think it's a curious ending. Didn't you just explain to us how God's love seemed to fail a little bit? But then you say something like, "Redeem us because of your unfailing love." It's almost an affirmation that God's love doesn't fail. And this can be confusing at first. This is this is the script. This is the template for a lot of these laments that we find in the Psalms. That you'll have a complaint. You'll have somebody saying, "God, how long?" or "Why?" or "This?" or "God, hear, hear, hear my plea." And then somewhere in the middle of the laments, this one's just right at the end, but there'll be a shift, and then you'll have eight or nine verses, you see it all the time, where it's like, God praise you, your are unfailing love, and these kinds of things, and we read it and say, wait a minute, weren't you just in this place, and now you're here? How, how can those exist together? How can that tension be a part? But it seems to be a part, that even in the midst of this darkness, and this, this deepest despair, this psalmist comes back and says, Your unfailing love. And we have to deal with that and say, is that real? You know, we talked in the college group and we said, is that real for you? When you read a lament like that, does that seem fake? Like, God, why? And then God praise you. And everybody said, no, that's life. That's my faith. I'm dealing with this issue. I'm going through this. I don't understand why, but I still see God in the middle of it. There's that tension. And I can't imagine the Psalms without the inclusion of both verse 23 and verse 26. These, these different realms of protest and question versus praise and adoration. They're a part of the faith. And you might say, well, does this really exist in the Bible? I mean, do we really see this? Well, in the Psalms, certainly we see it in the laments. We have Abraham, who seems to be reprimanding God in Genesis 18, but then he's a model of submissive faith in Genesis 22. Moses makes some of the most demanding prayers, complaining, just crying out to God in Exodus 32 and 33. But he's also the enforcer of of worship and, and praise to God for the people. There's that tension again. Jeremiah, in one speech in in chapter 20 of Jeremiah, combines this complaint and praise in a beautiful way. And of course, Job gives us the prime example of a man who had to come to terms with being someone that worshipped fully and adored God and lived this way and suddenly experienced enormous suffering. So that book plays that out incredibly. So let's step out of the psalm for a minute and ask ourselves, do we really relate to this? Can we really find this tension in our lives? I have to say yes. I don't know what you would say of your experience. I have to come back, and I apologize if I always share something about Columbine when I teach, but it's, it's marked me. Most of you know at least a bit of my story that I was a junior when the Columbine shootings happened, and that was a point of incredible suffering for me at age 17. I lost a close friend. She was killed, Cassie, from our youth group. Um, I didn't understand why, I was confused, I was fed up, I, all, all the things I assumed about my faith were kind of just rocked and shaken, and yet somehow in the middle of that time of, my, of, that, of those days after mine, God met me closer than he's ever met me before. I, I'm not going to sit here and try and explain that. I'm not going to try and, and, and put words on that tension, I, mean, I guess I'm sort of trying, but all I can say is that I've never felt God so closely. And God's spirit, you know, some people say, well, I feel God's spirit all the time. And he's just right here. And I don't live in that world. Maybe something's wrong with me. But, you know, I think we have these times of unique, just God is right there. And we should cherish every single one of them and remember every single one of them. And one of those for me was Columbine. And it's the example of what we see in the scripture, what we see in this psalm, this tension of, uh, of back and forth. I exist between those worlds, tears and smiles it's real for me. I'm not constantly happy. You know, you meet these people, and sometimes they're Christians, and it's like, everything's good. God's with me. Everything's good all the time. Hey, let's do it. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, whoa. Like, I felt like that one day in my life. <laughs> no, I, I think that's great. And blessings to you if that's, if that's your experience. Um, but sometimes I'm thinking, that's just not my daily experience, is I'm, is I'm grinding things out my faith. Um, And the opposite contrast of that for me would be someone who's just constantly negative, constantly sorrowful, you know, Um, just cynical. What does God do? The system has wronged me. Um, There's no joy. There's nothing to be excited about. You know, all is wrong. That's the other extreme. Like, let me list all that is bad and all that is wrong. And and we probably know people like that, too, um, that just live live in that world constantly. I live somewhere between there always, and I don't want to deny either side. Um, and I think that's important. It's a kind of stretched faith, um, such as what's shared by Israel in the Psalms. It witnesses a way of God to the world. I took a Bible lit class when I went to Metro, and I'm going to read this quote for you that comes out of the text that we used. This isn't a Christian text. This is a, just a scholarly text used in um, state college to study the Bible. But look at how the faith of the people of Israel impresses a way of God onto the person who wrote this. I'm going to read this. It says, The psalmists persist in an ongoing dialogue with their God, alternatively voicing supreme confidence in his power to save, bewilderment at his inaction, and confidence that he rules as a universal king, accepting both adversity and joy as inevitable components of their community's collective life. The psalmists, in Israel I would say, affirm the redemptive value of the divine human bond. Now, this is just somebody writing a text for a, a secular Bible lit class. And you can see that anyone can see how, how the Jews have, have shared their God. It's incredible. The world sees what a community of faith values, and they begin to get a picture of what their God is like. So in this case, the unrelenting, enduring faith of Israel shows the world the unrelenting, enduring love of God. And I think that's awesome. And now that brings us back to this idea of community talked about tension, and now here we are back at community. We really need each other, right, in any realm of life, but especially in the church, to show God in this way. Yeah, we can show God on our own. Of course we can. We should all the time strive for that. But I still contend that we need each other. I recently watched an incredible documentary on you know Katrina and post-Katrina and all they're trying to do in New Orleans, and obviously a lot of problems. And part of it was showing this area of the Lower Ninth Ward. You've probably heard... Um, one of the really poor areas in and around New Orleans, devastated um, by the hurricane. And so, you know, with the hurricane, you had all these people displaced, right? All these people, when they finally got out, they, they're all over the nation. and A lot of them just don't want to come back for one reason or another. Fear, or now they maybe have more security where they are, you name it. But the people who are back in New Orleans are saying, we don't want to just wipe out this community. We need the people who were here before to come back, or we don't, have, we don't stand a chance to be the, the Lower Ninth Ward that we were before Katrina, to have the same culture, have the, have the same feel. We need, and so these people are saying, please, let's work this, let's figure this out, come back to New Orleans. Um, is it gonna happen? Who knows, it's a real struggle. But they, they realize, they're very aware that it's, it's not gonna happen with a few individuals. To, to retain that identity that they had, they're gonna need everyone. A little closer to home, there's a couple in our church. Uh, a young couple that actually recently, um, the last year they moved into a struggling neighborhood in Denver, a really uh, rougher community in Denver. They just felt led to go there. They don't have a 10-step plan or formula to fix things, um, but they really want to empower this community to see their need for each other. And, and I, I visited them last week, and it's really beautiful what they're trying to do. I think it's really on the edge of faith. It's one of the, I think, one of the coolest things going on in the church right now. And uh, they're sharing their love for, for Christ and they're sharing their faith in incredible ways. But um, in, in the most basic, practical ways, they're opening this community's eyes up to each other. And to fix these problems and issues that this neighborhood is having, having they're going to need each other. And uh, she, she put me, this couple put me to shame as I went down there. And she starts going around and telling me about this person and what they do and their kids and this person who lives over here. And I just said, I don't even know this much about any of my neighbors and uh, look at what you're doing down here. And it took a real step of faith to to go there. They need each other. You know, by being here each week, let's come back to the church, you give voice to what community and church look like. Whether or not you believe that, it's true. So you have to consider some questions. And I just wrote down a few. I'll just launch through them for you to think about. Um, Well, what does that community look like? How do we become a community that shows what our God is like? There's lots of ways. Do we do it by simply coming to a service and a sermon? Is that adequate for following Jesus? Maybe. Should we be striving to become more vulnerable with people who belong to the body? Ooh, I don't know. How so? How do we become more vulnerable? Where and when does that happen? What about within our immediate family? Does it happen there? Are we people like the psalmists who are able to share our hurts and our... In our praises, our, our pain, and, and our joy? Are we able, do we communicate that? Do we communicate either of those? Or both, or nothing? How do we do that, and to who? How does that happen here? And, and maybe the question just comes up for some of you, well, can't I just internalize these things? Can't I just put them, put them inside and deal with them? Why, why do I have to open up and you know, talk to people I don't know, or whatever, whatever this looks like? You know, We talked about this at college group the other week, and we were saying the college age, and I've said this before, it's, it's this age where you have to redefine your faith. You really do, because a lot of things, uh, when you're coming out of high school, that seems so sure and clear suddenly get rocked in a new way, and it's that stage of life when you're entering the college age, whether or not you go to college, um, and so there's a lot that young people are dealing with at that age, and, and reassessing and reevaluating, and we talked about it the other week, and and I said, you know, when you have these issues and confusions, and w- what do you do? And a lot of people were saying, well, I internalize things. I just put it inside. And, and we all agreed that's not the healthiest thing to do, but it is what we do. And so what, what often happens in that age is people are starting to just deal with these major, massive conundrums in their faith that they can't figure out. And so they internalize it, they don't talk to anyone, and then they find another one and another one, and it just becomes confusing and after a while, you can say, "I don't know what I was doing in the church or with, in faith with God, and it, it's just too much for me to figure out and wrap my head around." And so, it's it's easier for me to just not deal with it, especially in the context of church. It's just too confusing. And well, there's a lot going on there. But part of what's going on there is that when we don't open up, we don't we don't stand a chance. It's part of what the community's for. And we and we would find that we are probably going through a lot of the same things, and we were able to talk and discuss and share and work through. And so we're always striving for that with the college group, a little bit of vulnerability, a little bit of openness so that we can get each other through and see our faith in a new way. So internalizing those thoughts and feelings, maybe, it seems like that might have some consequences. Finally, does this church, does this community have a voice? I'm sure it does. How are you contributing to that voice? I'm not even talking like money or service. Uh, That's great. But, But how are we portraying our Jesus outside these doors and to one another. How are we doing that? How are you doing that? What does that look like? Some good questions, and we always have to look and face hard questions. I've got one more story for you. Uh, we went down to Mexico for the VBS a few weeks ago, and for whatever reason, we've had a lot of travel issues over the years, going through Mexico, lost bags. Two years ago, I came home early, and then the group coming coming back, they missed their flight in Mexico City, and that airport's a little, it's a little nutty. My bottom three airports, not that this has to do with anything, I just thought I'd share them with you, Miami, Mexico City, and Newark, New Jersey. Those are some bad airports. Uh, Mexico City, though, is one of the worst. Um, just confusing in ways. And so I'm always nervous when we go on these trips. I just want to get to where we're going so we can start to do the BBS stuff. And uh, so we left a couple Sundays ago at five in the morning and we're on the bus halfway to I-70, and I said, everyone have your passports? I don't care if you left anything. As long as you have your passport, we can get you there, you know. Everyone's checking, and who doesn't have their passport? My wife, Cassie, forgot her passport. Unbelievable. She brought it to the church, and uh, she was making a copy so that they'd have one here, and she just left in the copier. So now we've got to turn around, and now we've lost our little extra window of time, and it's just going to be crunch time the whole way through, and they don't have our tickets when we get there, and security line's long, and I'm like, I'm going to have a heart attack if I do this anymore. Um, I just want to get on the plane. Uh, you know, so we, we get there, we make it on the plane. Then we had is- issue number two. Um, Bruce and Wellborn, a couple guys, they were flying home earlier this year, so they had some different flight to Mexico City that I didn't even know was the case. And so we get to Mexico City, and in Mexico City, you've got to get in the right line to get to the domestic departure. If you get in the wrong line, you're going to get dumped out on the, on the street uh, to fend for yourself. Now, you're going to go out you know, past security, and then you're going to have to come back in, and you're not going to make the connection. Well, I, we get off, and I'm looking for Bruce and, and Ryan. I don't know where their flight's coming in. Calling them, can't find them. Finally get a hold of them on the phone, and Ryan's like, oh, we're in this line. They're in the wrong line. It's like, get out of that line, or you're going to miss this flight. So they get out of the line. Then we're on our last flight. We, get, we finally all get on board, and it's like, we're here. We're going to make it. Uh, and then Denise Miller runs up to me, and she's like, they're making me get off the plane. And I was like, are you kidding me? And I said, Sada, come quick. Sada plays uh, percussion this morning, and uh, she's fluent in Spanish, and we're on a you know Spanish-speaking airline now, so I need someone with good language, and we come up. And the guy's like, no, I'm sorry, she needs to leave. She doesn't have the right ticket. Uh, it's not a boarding pass. It's just a ticket. It's not the voucher. It's this th-. And I said, well, she's with the group. I said, we've got to all go together. And, and I, said, I said, sir, she's with us. Look, this is our group. Is she in your computer system? Yeah, she's in the computer, but she doesn't have the ticket. I need the ticket. I said, you've got her in the computer you know we're working back and forth trying to work it out and he said she's got to leave now i'm thinking oh great you know this is the only flight here today we're gonna have to put her in a hotel tonight Um, but i'm not leaving her by herself in mexico city so i'm going to leave sada now we've lost two of 14 it's just like total mess and i said i said sir you don't think i'm trying to trying to buy some time he said i'm closing this door she needs to get off the flight and i said okay sada can you get your bags you need to stay with her um, Sada goes to get her bags, walking up out of nowhere. I mean, we were just praying, too. Everyone was praying. and know it. And this is crazy, one of those prayer things. This lady just runs down, and she said, it's okay. She can stay. And that was it. So she stayed. Totally crazy. And once again, it's like I almost had cardiac arrest for like the fourth time in one day. We weren't even traveling with our kids. It's like, what the heck? So, you know, that was a small representation of, of what the voice of community is supposed to be like. When we do VBS, no one comes down and just hangs out. Every player is important. It doesn't matter if you don't know a lot of Spanish. We've got work to do, and we're going to do it together. Everyone has a part to play and a tune to sing, and we need everyone. And on that plane, it's like, sir, I need everyone. I don't care what your rules are. We're taking her with us, you know. (laughs) Didn't come to that. But, uh, you know, that's what the church should be, right? We all have a part to play. And I think we know that, but we're we're working towards that. So today, uh, Psalm 44, you saw this exposed and, I think, beautiful tension of faith that is just everywhere in God's Word and the voice and hope of community through Israel and ultimately the, the community, which is the church in Christ. I told a, a close friend recently, um, I'm just still excited to be part of the church. I think a lot of people get burnt out and walk away, but, uh, and I understand that. I feel great purpose here um, in the day-to-day things I do and the people I know and the community we're working towards here. And sure, of course, I think we often fail miserably at creating a picture of what a church is supposed to look like. We've got all kinds of flaws. People talk and, you know, the church did this and the church failed me and, you know, the church did wrong. It's the same people that walk in and they're not going to say hi to anyone, but they're going to go ahead and chew out the people who are making your bagels in the GP. You know those are volunteers, right? They're doing that for you. You know, what are, we, what, are we, what are we working on when we come through the doors here? Um, it's a question to ask. I'm excited. I think we're chasing that dream of what a body of believers like Jesus hoped for um, looks like. And I hope you're on board with what that looks like because truly we, we need everyone to get on this plane. We can't leave anyone in Mexico City. And if you're walking through the doors, we want to do this together. We want to struggle through it together. The ups and downs, the praise, the lament, all that. We want to be together on that, and let's discover the ways we can do that. So let's pray. We'll get out of here. God, we thank you. We celebrate who you are. We thank you that we have such incredible psalms that we can open a Bible. We just don't even understand how privileged we are, and we can just read these incredible um, reflections on you, your word, God, and uh, people who who lived in the dynamic that we know so well, caught between uh, joy and tears at times. That's the reality of the people who lived in Scripture, and that's the reality of the Psalms, and we understand that. We understand also that through that, the the community has a voice. The church has a voice. We want to give that voice uh, your name, Jesus. We want that to be what people see and hear and know um, as they take part. We we thank you for all that you give us and show us, God, lead us to our responsibility. Um, to give and love you more and more. We pray this in your name. Amen.